0: And now,
1: it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Red Alert! All hands to battle stations! Engage!
0: Captain Picard is a pain, isn't he?
1: Interesting. No redeeming qualities. I think you should be destroyed. The great Captain Picard
0: of Starfleet falls to earth. Go back. Thou shalt most certainly die. Protect yourself, Captain. We're we'll you. We are dangerous. What can I offer
1: except myself? You just get down to it, please? Get us out of orbit! One minute to undistract. No!
0: Come out, We're through running from these bastards. Perhaps today is a good day to die.
1: Hello, and welcome to Two True Freaks. This is Star Trek Monthly Monday, the next generation edition. My name is Scott Gardner, and I am joined as always by my very
0: bestest friend,
1: Chris Honeywell. Hello!
0: <laughs> How's it going, man? Good. Yeah, you know, this is a really early evening for us, too, so. Maybe Hopefully I'm a we'll be more awake, awake than I usually am. <laughs> You're the one who's usually <laughs> shagged out the most when we.
1: Yeah, yeah I know
0: man i've it's it's
1: been rough here these past couple of months but i'm slightly more awake and conscious for this one plus i'm really really psyched up man we i think we got a good show for the listeners this time oh yeah uh, not only do we have the return of the comic books the dc uh, comic book series for next generation but we are covering one of the all-time greatest episodes of star trek in any of its incarnations in my opinion uh yesterday's enterprise so yeah we'll be getting first into that time a view bit later for later. me really so, uh, well, I'm, I'm gonna
0: be really curious for so what you, what you, you uh, gotta what you see what i of thought story. of it yeah the so-called so. greatest episode <laughs> uh-oh
1: so i guess leading us off we're gonna go ahead and dive straight into this since neither one of us really has any uh next generation related news or anything and we'll dive in with the uh, with the DC comic, right? Well,
0: the only news that I actually, I just, when you said news because I usually just think of stuff that I got. Right. That's news to me. But um, when I was thinking of news, just the one little tidbit is I heard um, Jonathan Frakes was sort of like hinting that you know, if he wanted to if they needed someone to direct the next Star Trek movie, he would uh, be in on it. But since then, they've, you know, said that somebody else would was going to do it. The Fast and Furious director, I think. Uh. Yeah. But um, <laughs> that would have been... I think that would have been a really ballsy and really good move on their part, but
1: I think... Might have generated some... Uh... Some goodwill with the fanboys, you
0: know. Well, I mean, Frakes knows his Star Trek. He's lived it. He's literally lived it. You know, there's you get a paycheck from d- directing a major Star. I mean, I imagine the the paycheck from directing Star Trek Three is pretty good for and Jonathan Frakes would love that. But right. he probably would like to nudge it back on course a little bit. I would hope. Oh well. One would, yeah. You would hope. One can dream. <laughs> but well, let's see how much Star Trek we can squeeze out of this comic. <laughs> That's been a long time since we've done a, a next generation comic. And the last time was, jeez on your, last hiatus, which was a while ago, and I had Scott Reifen mm-hmm. in and had him read the first part of this two- part story. So you had to do a little <laughs> cramming. In order I did to, yeah to, to catch up with the story. But basically, the story up to this point is uh, the Enterprise has gone to pick up a bunch of refugees at a, on, a, on a planet. And one of them is Jordy LaForge's old flame. But they're supposedly going to be racked with some horrible disease that's destroyed their bodies. So Geordie's sort of, you know, s- strengthening himself to deal with that. But when they come in, they're in perfect health. And... They just acting a little. They're well, frankly, they're acting a little horny and 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 a little hostile around the edges. <laughs> and uh, towards the end, you know, somebody mentions to Jordy that something. You know, I, I I think it was Troy, of course. Yeah, it was. Mentioned that you know something might be awry with Jordy's girlfriend, and he does it. God damn it! I'm just about to finally get some. <laughs> <laughs> again, and you go st- raining on my parade and storms out. So um, so that brings us to DC Star Trek. Before that, I would like to point out on
1: page 10 of that issue, that's issue 5, by the way, mm-hmm. the one that you guys covered together. Page 5, uh, third panel, Troy says, I sense that there is something they are holding
0: back. Oh. Maybe they need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> the space... I love it when when... <laughs> <laughs> oh god, she's she's become such a stereotype Even in the comic, just a complete yeah, stereotype yeah, The it's lines awesome. almost write themselves <laughs> Alright, so this was So we're, we're speeding into DC Star Trek Number 6, cover price $1.50 $1. dollar eighty-five in Canada 80 pence in the UK, governor <laughs> This is a March 1990 issue We're into the 90s Mm-hmm. shadows in the garden on the cover once they were lovers now and you see a Geordie LaForge lying on the ground with his woman standing over him with a sort of glowing hand and cool vapor trails coming from his chest so um uh, we have uh, Michael Jan Friedman writer Pablo Marcus artist Bob Pinaha, letterer Juliana Ferreter, Faraday, Faraday Faraday, Farder color and Robert Greenberger editor okay so the enterprises rescued settlers from the exploding Seraphim's planet including an old flame of Geordie's they suffered from a debil- I said all this shit. they suffered from a debilitating disease that made them look like ugly <laughs> freaks but something on the planet cured them and made hey them you super have that strong. disease yes Dahlia. <laughs> Jordy's old gal pal belies a crack in the facade with mysterious cramps that Geordie is suspicious is more than a cramp. <laughs> this story is taking a familiar turn. <laughs> she needs some space pampering. And the next word is Troy also notices that they have a yawning hunger and possibly bad intent. So Picard decides to have security just keep a little eye on him. Turns out they're right, the survivors are energy vampires who suck the lives out of their fellow settlers and want to get to a starbase so they can feed on starbase personnel. Jordy offers Dahlia the chance to find a medical answer, but she zaps him unconscious and almost feeds on Data's little kid pal, but she's interrupted. Jordy wakes up and follows a trail of dead ensigns to the shuttle bay, where the rest of the Seraphim's planet refugees are sucking out Dahlia's life. Jordy kills the lights and keeps them busy until Worf can come and shoot them all. Later in Sick Bay, Dahlia dies in Jordy's arms because major characters can't have ongoing girlfriends in a comic. The end. Hmm.
1: Wow, where to begin on this one? Um, not a bad story. I mean, not I bad. could see this being an episode actually. Yeah. I I could see this being a standard filler boilerplate you know, episode. Yep, exactly. I could see this being a a, a regular episode of the
0: series as the the Geordi episode. The the scene, so, yeah. the scene with Data and the little kid, like Data starting to bond with the little kid and I didn't also mention Data the the mom, there was also a little hint that the mom was sort of like, "Hey, Data,
1: that reminded me an awful lot. I don't know if uh, if you're familiar with the episode. I can't remember the name of the episode, but there's actually an episode of the series where Data uh, experiments, essentially, with having a
0: relationship. Do you remember that? Did you ever see that one? I vaguely remember that. I also remember yeah. he, he experiments with having a cat, too, and that's a little more successful.
1: Right. <laughs> um that's kind of what this scene I, I presume you're talking about on pages 6 and 7 here where where he's kind of having a moment with the mom and she kind yeah. of seems like maybe she's coming on to him
0: that really reminded me a remarkable. lot right and I'm fully functional too exactly.
1: um, but yeah that did it reminded me a lot of that Damn, I cannot think of the name of that episode but there's an episode where, where Data has a girlfriend and they move in together and everything and uh, that did remind me quite a bit of,
0: of she's that a, she's a grieving oh. widow you know, yeah, she has needs. There you go. I like the hot fill.
1: redhead uh, Ensign here. Or whatever. Yeah, is that
0: she... Yeah, Ensign Whaler. I bet she Too is. Bad she winds up? Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh spinning off
0: the rails.
1: The art's getting better, but the the characters still have a serious case of Camino neck from time to time, yes. where like they're. Yeah, they they all look like they're, like... Especially, like, look at page one. Jordy right there looks (laughs) like the black plastic man.
0: Yeah. Humans don't turn their necks like that. Turtles do. Well, unless they've, like, fallen down the stairs or
1: something. They don't (laughs) turn their necks like that. So, yeah, he doesn't look right. And this trend of any character that's not either from the series or in a Starfleet uniform looking completely goddamn ridiculous continues because you've got Miguel and whatever the hell the other guys and Anton they look they look ridiculous they just look flat ridiculous yeah. cuz Miguel looks like basically like you know a combination of like the worst racial stereotype in like space Wolverine with a with a mustache and then the other guy i don't even know what to describe him yeah. as. he kind of looks like like a like a red-haired Puerto Rican
0: uh well, oh, what was that guy from the legion of superheroes era i guess Puerto Rican except he has a skin tone that i've never seen on humans or aliens before it's this weird olive drab almost right. And with this this I, I think this comic really suffers from the colors. The colors are just like popping yeah. bright. I mean, this guy is olive drab skin, bright orange hair, a green lantern uniform on like, Right. you know. <laughs> and 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 Miguel is in his like wife beater Right. You know, with his mustache, it's just it yeah, it's just ridiculous. Red, yes. And I is. think they also I think they also sort of put it on on the colorist to take care of the backgrounds in this.
1: Right, yeah. So,
0: you're not you're only left with sort of hints of the enterprise. You know, like right. like the last page, Sick Bay is just like a light shining on a single bed and yeah. two lines for the wall, you know. And that sort of thing can work really good, but it, in in this, it looks like it was hurried, you know. But I will say the art is definitely it's improving. It's not horrible. It's getting horrible. There, Yeah. No, it's it's serviceable. I mean, it 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 tells the
1: story and it works, but yeah, you can still see where this appears to be, you know, the artist still kind of learning his craft, kind of thing, because some things are still kind of wonky. Um dahlia i thought looked really good but her outfit is really strange she's kind of like she's kind of like next gen's version of miramani or something she's just got this weird you know it's like a cross between they uh, make her
0: look like she's in klingon gear on the cover right yeah and inside she's got her stevie nicks outfit on right (laughs) yeah very much so
1: now there was a panel here let me see if I could find it because I I never did write any notes on this I just kind of made a mental note of things I wanted to talk about so I'm not sure if I can find the panel again but there was a panel of Jordy that I don't want to accuse anybody of anything but I'm pretty sure it's a swipe from somewhere there's a shot of Jordy with his finger in the air the art in that particular panel doesn't look like anything else in the book and I'm pretty sure I've seen this before. I think this might be what from picture? a Neil page 13. It's a close-up shot of, of uh, Jordy with his finger in the air and he's saying don't play innocent with me. I've been studying the other colonists and then he goes on to say a bunch of other crap about the muscle cramps. But that particular panel really looks Neil Adams to me. It looks
0: like Jordy's only got four fingers too. <laughs> <laughs> why would they, jeez, why would they do that for just like one panel like that? I though? don't know, it's it's weird, but it just, am I right in that, that it doesn't quite match the it other? De- it definitely doesn't, and as soon as you said Neil Adams, there were a few, like, little lines on there that went, warp yep. Yeah. So that's, that's weird. Maybe the, maybe the artist copied it from a Neil Adams drawing as a tribute or something.
1: I don't know, it's just kind of weird. But uh, I mean, overall, it wasn't bad. It was, you know, like I said, it was a, it was kind of, you know, it was kind of a standard,
0: you know, what'd you call it, boilerplate yeah. episode. Although yeah. now page seventeen, don't you think mm-hmm. that kid looks like mini Luke Skywalker getting ready to get in his X-wing? <laughs> right. Yeah. That he's, he's just like slinging his little school tape recorder over his shoulder, but it looks like <laughs> the backpack from the Rebels. It's it's hilarious. And I love how she's just like, Oh, lunch. And just gets sort of- well,
1: What's weird, too, is that that last page, you know, at the, at the end where he's he's grieving over... Uh... By the way, does yours have the... Do you, ha- you have this as a paper issue? Yes. Does yours have the Nightbreed
0: insert into it? Yes, it does.
1: God, it makes it a pain in the ass flipping the pages right.
0: here. It's funny because I forgot that this was an insert. I... This, for some reason, in one of the houses I lived in, around the time when you were living here in Rochester, there was just one of these hanging out in the house. It had come out of something. Huh. And I just remember it from that, you know, being in a pile of magazines or something like that. I remember huh. seeing the movie to check it out and being really disappointed.
1: Yeah, the movie sucked.
0: We might have watched, watched that together, come to think. I might I have.
1: never saw it. And I the only reason I wanted to watch it was... I uh, I had gotten the soundtrack. It was I think that was the first time I ever got a soundtrack without see- before <laughs> seeing the movie, and I loved the soundtrack because it was uh, it was Danny Elfman at that time when I was really really you know crazy for anything that he put out, you know soundtrack wise. And I got the soundtrack and I listened to it over and over and I, I just loved the soundtrack. Thought it was awesome. So I wanted to see the movie that the soundtrack went to and so we watched the movie and i thought the movie sucked
0: (laughs) all i remember is it
1: had mac tonight in it mac tonight the big moon face guy from the mcdonald's commercial
0: yeah well you can't flip if you're looking at not looking at the paper are you have the paper copy oh yeah if you flip Mm -hmm. it over his name's kinsky Let's see He's basically here. Mac tonight Boone. with a bad hairpiece and uh, and. A...
1: Oh yeah, he does look like Mac tonight. Yep. <laughs> Come <laughs> on, or, Mac.
0: It Mac could tonight. be Jay Leno. I'm not sure. It could be a lot of them. <laughs> Jay Leno if his chin was coming
1: out of his forehead. <laughs> yeah right. Yeah. Yeah, I thought this movie was stupid. Yeah, just looking at the pictures brings it all back. Just how stupid I thought well, it, it was. was. So, it he
0: did um, Hellraiser, and Hellraiser was a well directed movie. It was it was better than it should have been you know it was it 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 had you could tell oh Clive Barker has talent as a director and whatever it was it just seemed to evaporate for Nightbreed I just remember being like oh this is just like inept ineptly done it might have been you know it's based on one of his books and I'll bet you the books good but the movie was not where I just remember it being really cheesy yeah. And that's all I remember and that's not a good sign when I don't even remember like a scene from it. Yeah, I Can't don't either. Remember anything from it?
1: The only thing I remember about it is uh, that the the place that the creatures come from was called Midian, which just made me laugh because that's what I've always called that that strip in the road. Right. Like when you're eg- exiting a business and you want to go left, but you can't because the friggin' Midian strip is there, yeah. so you got to drive 20 miles out of your way to be able to turn around and go the other direction.
0: So then you just so drive I I was your car right over it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Right over. I'll rip your muffler I... off the car. Yeah. But it just amused me, the thought of these freaky monsters actually coming from a Midian strip in the middle of the road. I <laughs> thought that would be funny. Beyond that, I gotta be honest, I, I think I got more kicks out of some of the ads that were in the, in the yeah. things that were in the book than the actual story itself. I mean, the story was serviceable. Now, what I was going to point out, though, is at the very end, that last page where where Jordy is mourning, and that's kind of creepy, too, how he's, like, standing <laughs> and... Yeah, yeah it's all
0: hunched. Weird. weird, and yeah.
1: But there's this quote, and it says... There are shadows in the garden. I presume this is from the book that she was reading earlier in the story because there was a book in the moment where they're, they're having their little lovers. Yeah, I lovers. think it was a poetry book. Yeah, it said shadows in the garden, which I was like, okay, whatever. It says, there are shadows in the garden. Like us, they are the children of the sunlight. Uh, learn to love them despite their darkness. For with the onslaught of night's greater darkness, they will fade and be forgotten. And then it says, an unknown Vulcan poet.
0: I'm like, what? Published a book that everybody knows.
1: Well, why would why would a Vulcan be writing about love? I just was and maybe
0: worried. it was an ancient Vulcan. I guess. And I I gotta say, it doesn't really fit into the uh, narrative really.
1: <laughs> no, it's a tender no, it
0: it's a tender romantic sentiment at the end, but really the tragedy of it was that she really probably. They probably shouldn't have survived because they were life-sucking vampires and they were <laughs> right, not yeah. too uh, shy about it, you know? So, right. you know, Jord- Jordy's just like, he can't get a break, man. Not on TV, just not in the comics. He can't
1: get laid. Poor guy. He's,
0: I, I know, and, I, and ah. I, my suspicion is he's the guy that we're supposed to identify with. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, did you notice on the inside front cover that they have, uh, this is, uh, uh, what's his name? C.C. Beck's obituary. This is when C.C. Oh. Beck had just passed away. I thought that was sad. But yeah, that was all I pretty much had on this one. Uh, you yeah, know, pretty, pretty standard issue, I guess.
0: Well, I definitely will not be writing home about it in the future. <laughs> <laughs> But I won't be burning it. I'm glad. I'm I'm really psyched because now we're in a phase of my Star Trek, especially the Next Generation. I got a lot of these on hard copies, so
1: yeah, I me like too. that a
0: lot better than reading them in the computer form.
1: Yeah. Well, these uh, these Next Gen comics, at least for the foreseeable many months to come, uh, they're all new to me. Oh. I I might have the the physical copies, but I haven't read them. Um, I, I forget where my reading on that actually starts because I, I only ever read just a smattering of stories because there was one I want to say it was around issue either 50 or 75 uh, that was kind of a sequel to Best of Both Worlds that one I read um, and then a, a you know like just a smattering of issues here and there uh-huh. but that was pretty much it I mean all this stuff in the in the beginning like we're touching on right now this is my first time reading all this stuff so it's all fresh and new yep, me too.
0: What? I gotta tell you I probably wouldn't read next gen comics on my own, but No. I I, No I wouldn't either. I'm not I'm not not enjoying (laughs) (laughs) No, it was it was fun.
1: I mean it'd be different if it was a slog. If it had taken me, you know, an hour to read it and it was really wordy and meaty and all that, it'd be different. But I mean I'd read both of them in like twenty minutes. So they're
0: very similar the the comics are very similar to the T V show, so Mm Mhm. Yeah, very much so.
1: I could see little little glimmers of, of things in the stories that I can't, I can't help but wonder if maybe they picked up on and expanded on in actual episodes of the series later on. I'd be
0: thinking about doing that if I had to put out a weekly TV show.
1: Yeah, sure, why not? It's an idea mill for them. Well... We ready to dive into the episode proper on this one?
0: Yes. I'm. Yeah, I'm more than ready for this one.
1: All right. I am looking forward to this myself. Now, I'm going to give you the choice, sir. I have two books ah. open in front of me. I have the Star Trek Companion by Larry Nemesek, or I have the Knitpickers Guide for Next Generation Trekkers by Phil Ferrand. And I'm going to give you the choice of which one you'd
0: like the synopsis from. I'll always pick Knitpickers. Screw Nemesek. <laughs> Poor Larry. I've given him a chance.
1: The one thing I will pull out of the uh, Star Trek Next Generation companion is, of course, the air date, because that's the one thing I really like about this book beyond little trivia bits and things like that. I like that it does give you the original air date. Uh, this episode, Yesterday's Enterprise, aired the week of February 19th, 1990. Next time on Star
0: Trek The Next Generation, an enterprise from the past rips through time and alters the future.
1: i supposed to be dead.
0: Now, Lieutenant Yar lives again to help the crew fight a devastating battle. This
1: war is not supposed to be happening. You've got to send those people back to correct this.
0: And one courageous team must die to save the Federation from destruction on Star Trek The Next Generation.
1: Wow. Almost, almost 25 years ago. That's just amazing. Insane to think about. Wow. All right, so from the next generation or the uh nitpicker's guide for next generation trekkers, here's the synopsis a strange swirling cloud, defying description, appears in front of the Enterprise. Data surmises that it is a temporal rift, a rip in the fabric of time. Moments later, a crippled ship flies through. It is the Enterprise, NCC 1701C the predecessor of the current Enterprise NCC-1701-D. Suddenly, everything about the Enterprise-D changes. It is now a ship of war that has been battling in a conflict with the Klingons for the past 20 years. Worf is gone, and Tasha Yar is once again head of security. Soon, Guinan visits the bridge. She knows that the current state of reality is wrong and convinces Picard of it. Just before leaping into the future, the Enterprise C was responding to a distra- distress call from a Klingon outpost. The attacking Romulan ships then turned and fired on the Enterprise C. The fierce volley of photons and phasers created the rip uh, in time, and excuse me, created the rip in time and shot the Enterprise C into the future. At the time, the Federation and the Klingons were discussing a peace treaty. The disappearance of the Enterprise-C meant no Federation ship came to the aid of the Klingon outpost. When the negotiations broke down, no symbolic acts stopped the outbreak of war between the Federation and the Klingon Empire. Picard discusses these matters with the captain of the Enterprise-C. She agrees to go back to almost certain destruction. During the first attempt, however, a Klingon ship attacks and the captain of the Enterprise-C is killed. Meanwhile, Yar learns from Guinan that in the original timeline, she died a meaningless death. And it says here, see, skin of evil. That was the episode where she died. Yar gets permission to go back with the Enterprise C. As soon as the Enterprise C heads back into the rift, everything returns to normal. You know, I liked that up until the end. It almost seems rushed to get it all on one page. Um, It's kind of, at the very end, it, it kind of gave short shrift you know to the, to the episode oh we'll, we'll we'll put some skin on the on the bones of uh, of this synopsis though i'm dying to know sir what did you think of yesterday's enterprise did it live up to the hype for you
0: i have to say i this is now fighting with city on the edge of forever for best written star trek episode in my book mm-hmm. right now i i was amazed and i wasn't convinced until the very end of it uh, not that i wasn't wasn't giving it the hairy eyeball i was like it was an awesome episode it i love how it takes you completely off guard by just set you know all of a sudden they're talking about the enterprise c and we're in a different you know you have to piece together what's going on you know yourself pretty much because there's nobody there's nobody possibly Guinan's character could have done it but there's nobody to come in and explain that part of the story to you because right. everybody is unaware that their reality that they're living just instantly in a different reality you know and uh, and it's very di- you know disconcerted you're like did I miss something you know Enterprise C what are we talking you know it's a D and it's a D but that's not the D I recognize and C what the hell is this you know so and then you, and then it's written so well that you piece it together. You know, you, by the time you figure out what's going on, that's when you're supposed to figure out what's going on. Right. Um, I, I had a big whoa moment when, um, um sort of flirting with Worf, and then a giant space vagina opens up in the <laughs> right, right outside the window. <laughs> well, what's funny in that scene at the beginning is.
1: Guinan says something, and Worf has a big old belly laugh. Yes. Now, later, and I couldn't tell you what episode it is, but in some later episode, she makes a remark to the fact that she has never heard him laugh or wants to hear him laugh or something to that effect. In other words, she can't remember... Later in a future uh-huh. episode that he, that he ever laughed, which I, I think is really strange, you know, because this was before. Yeah, the, she should the time, have remembered that. Yeah, yeah. That's for the timey whyness yeah. and all that. Yeah,
0: writer not getting their timeline straight.
1: I think this has one of the best openers of any episode because just. You know, the fact that the, the timeline shifts, Picard steps out of the way, and, and it's no longer Worf, but Tasha Yar is back, no explanation or anything. Yes. And then the Enterprise comes, you know, that the, the prior it, Enterprise comes That must through. have
0: been crazy when this first came out, you know, mm-hmm. and you're watching it, and all of a sudden, new episode, there's Tasha Yar as if she was there all the time.
1: Always there, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, while we would see, we have seen and we would see again uh, captains of the Enterprise together on screen, this is the only time that Enterprises ever share the screen, two different Enterprises, which is wild when you think about it. Out of all the Star Trek episodes that are out there, that this is the only one where two Enterprises ever shared the screen at the same time. That's pretty crazy.
0: Battle scarred Enterprises.
1: Oh, I love love the look of the Enterprise C because yeah. when you look at that ship, you can basically see, you know, all four existing versions of that time. You know, you can see pieces of the of the movie. You know, the Kirk era Enterprise. You can see pieces of Picard's. And although we wouldn't know that the Enterprise B was a uh, uh, Excelsior class for you know years yet when that's eventually revealed you can see that in there too because the nacelles the way that they're laid out and the shape of them and everything are, are very much nacelles like off of a uh, an excelsior class ship so it's like a like a amalgam of these different styles of ships that we've seen t- up till now but yet it's still it's, it's it's its own ship at the same time i just think that's really cool you can definitely see the progression and the evolution of the of the enterprises. All oh, there, you know, yeah. all in one ship with this one.
0: And you know what? It's also great about a warship enterprise. What's that? No kids. No need for Counselor Troy. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Yes, was. No I Troy was like, "Where's one? Troy?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, you wouldn't." <laughs> There's no. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> she has no place on a, on a battleship.
1: Now, one thing I have never heard an adequate explanation for, I've heard a lot of people try to no-prize it, but I've never heard one that I bought, is Guinan makes a big deal about pointing out the fact that there's no children on the ship when she senses that there should be. There should be families and children. And Picard has
0: that reaction of, well, children, we're at war. Well, how, how then do you explain Wesley? I thought the same thing, but then I thought, they're on the. they're almost done <laughs> you know they're uh, they're weeks away from surrendering to the Klingons probably for a long time they've needed everyone they could get and Wesley Crusher is really smart and uh you know he probably took a different he probably took a path right through Starfleet to get there but he probably got the fast track to uh to a ship and they probably uh, I don't know if they would put, it, you know. I mean, it, it makes sense that he got put on his mother's ship. You would think that they would maybe yeah. not do that, but, uh, eh, you know, you gotta, you gotta sloth off of. I mean, from uh, the concept to this is great, but under the microscope, you know, under the reality microscope. All right, so yeah, okay, the Enterprise C did get thrown through time, but what are the odds? Right. That they get thrown back through time right directly into the path of the, you know, Enterprise D, you know, in all of space. You know, I mean, it's a good thing that they did, but that's that's like just the most infinitesimal stretch of of, um, you know, probability. But at the same time, you know, I was just reading today about how when Roddenberry was talking to physicists and stuff they were like well if the enterprise is traveling on these missions you know a five-year mission and they're traveling out past the speed of light and stuff when they come back to earth you know maybe thousands of years might have passed you know (laughs) right and and he was like yeah we're gonna have to skip that (laughs) we're just gonna have to skip that for the sake of having you know normal stories instead of it being all about that so for for the sake of the story i will take that leap of of logic that that just happened to 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 be there and there's another layer to this of almost almost fan service but if it's fan service it's the most elegant and appropriate fan service i've ever seen because a lot of people were not happy I'm going to assume, with Tasha's death. And I think that's directly addressed in this episode with, like, you died a meaningless death, and there were probably a lot of people who were like, hey, you know. And you're used to, in TV and movies and stuff, when somebody dies or something, they have a dramatic death, you know. Right. It might, it, it, they you know, and hers was that random, just awful thing that happens in a split second, and it's over, and, you know, you're sort of in shock. Which was kind of Especially in a action adventure science fiction show like Star Trek, maybe in a hardcore drama or something like that. So I think they were maybe, you know, given Tasha just a a, a proper send off, you know. Right. And uh, which, if on paper, I would be like, no, 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 no. You you know you you set your story, stick with it. But in this case, boy, oh boy, they pull it, and the ending line is like a punch to the gut. It, that was when I i mean, as soon as as soon as she, you know, looked at Jordy and goes, "Tell you know, what was what was the exact line? You know, I want to know about um, Lieutenant Yar or something like that." It Just like in, oh, tell me, tell tell me, about, me about Lieutenant Tasha Yar. Tasha Yar. Yeah. Immediately, like instant lump to the throat, and oh, I was right. just like, "Wow, man, that's the." that and you know let's get the hell out of here are the two best Star Trek ending lines ever that mm-hmm. tied it right up because like you know you realize Guinan's the only one who who saw this sort of you don't know how much of it she really remembers but she remembers enough of it to know that she met Tasha Yar right. the, and that like it was this weird you you know and maybe it has something it may have something to do with Guinan and that might be why the Enterprise I'm just thinking of this the Enterprise C showed up there you know at that particular time right because it has something to do with her yeah obviously I mean obviously her species does not exist in time the same way that we do
1: well, I've heard a number of different explanations because the episode itself posits that same theory that maybe it's her species. It's, it's her people and their perception of how time works, that maybe they're not compl- completely tied to linear time. Right. But another explanation that I heard that I actually like a lot better is the fact that this episode is directed by David Carson. David Carson would go on to uh, direct Star Trek Generations. Now, Guinan plays a rather pivotal role in Generations Mm -hmm. as well, because she is the glue that ties the story of the two Enterprises together in that episode as well, because she goes into the Nexus. Right. And remains uh, in the Nexus, even when she's beamed back uh, out of the Nexus, you know, uh, oh, in the right. beginning of the movie. That's right. So that, that echo of her stays behind and that piece of her stays behind in the Nexus of realities. So I'm thinking that now this is completely a retcon granted, but that, that has something to do with her ability to sense when the timeline's gone screwy because she's tied to the Nexus of realities and I just, I like that explanation a lot better. I, I really like the fact, because I, may, I make no mistake of the fact that I'm a big fan of Generations. I actually rather like that movie quite a bit. And as time goes by, I like it more and more. Because there's certain aspects of it that, that really work for me once I let go of the fact that it's not exactly the movie that I wanted. But the movie that I got, I, I rather do have a, a, a soft spot for one of the things that i find really cool with this episode is that i think over time i've come to believe that this was very very intentional is all right so in this in this episode yesterday's enterprise you've got the meeting of two enterprises two captains this whole big time travel story with you know these two captains and these two enterprises meeting up generations much the same thing the two enterprises don't necessarily meet but in that movie you do have two enterprises right and you've got the 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 two classic captains of the enterprise you know coming to meet each other for the first time kirk and picard there are a number of scenes that are paralleled in both episodes because in this There's the scene where they beam over to the Enterprise C and Picard and, or excuse me, not Picard, Riker rather, Riker and Yar hear a noise and they go over to a pile of debris and they shift all the debris off and Riker shines his flashlight in and they find like a lone survivor on the bridge, you know, besides the captain who was still alive. But they find this survivor buried in the rubble that they didn't originally know was there same exact thing happens in generations. When they beam over to the science station, they hear this groan or something and they go over and they shift all this stuff and they find, uh, Dr. Soren buried under all the stuff. And they, you know, they reach a hand in and pull him up. Same exact same scene. And then later in the movie, uh, and in this episode, there's the big battle. And I'm telling you, dude, the engine core breach and oh. this is almost exactly paralleled, almost right down to the dialogue with when the warp core breaches on the Enterprise-D in Generations. And of course, in that one, it ends up destroying the ship. It doesn't go that far in this. But you watch those two scenes side by side, and it, it would be tough to tell which is the, the show and which is the, the movie, because they're they're so almost close the to each other. I can't help but believe that that was intentional. That it was it was purposeful callbacks to this prior meeting of two enterprises. I just think that's really cool, and it, and it really just strengthens my my love for both this episode and that that feature film. I, I think that's really neat. I I can't help but believe that that's got to be intentional on on Carson's part. I'd be shocked to find out it was otherwise because it's just too, you know, too similar.
0: I just had it. I just had a little epiphany about this episode. It's a... It's a ghost story. It's a love story between two ghosts that help each other out into... Go, back into death. She... Tasha helps this guy who who's going to sacrifice his life by going there to help him out. And he provides her with a meaningful death. And they're both mm-hmm. characters they're both characters when they were when they were making out i realized when i was watching it these two people are dead these two people don't exist anymore right and, yep. and by the end of this they're more more than likely going to go back into non-existence but they one of the th- they get a uh, chance to fall in love and have a little mini relationship I got to be
1: honest, uh, one of the things that works best for me in this episode is Christopher McDonald as Castillo. I really like him in this. And it's funny because I've seen him in other things on TV and he always plays a dick. Yeah.
0: And well, in that's this, why I, and I was sort of biased against him because I probably saw him and was like uh, recognized him subliminally as that dick from TV. But he's right. in the short amount of time that he's allowed. He's a very complex character. He's very number one like you know. He's got a lot of Riker <laughs> in him. But it's, it's funny to say that
1: he was in the contending
0: to to play, to play number Riker. one. That he sense. was. Yeah, that makes sense. He's yeah. got a similar vibe to him, where he's got that sort of leading man thing, but he's got a little bit of a weird face for it, with and weird expressions which make him s- seem a little you know, funkier. I don't know.
1: Physically, he reminds me of like the love child of Christopher Reeve and John Wayne. That's scary. He's, he's, well, yeah, but you know, he's got that like lantern jaw, but you know, that, that big kind of awkward frame, like John Wayne had, you know what I mean? He's just, but yeah, very heroic looking, looking guy, but I really like, I mean, this is one of the the times where I really buy the chemistry that, and the quick, quick romance between the two characters. I I totally buy it, and I guess that that sort of answers the question on which way uh, Tasha, you know, which team Tasha plays for as well. <laughs>
0: you know, it reminds me, you she could play for either. She could play for well, either side, is, but this this, this is was true. the hot number at the time and i'm I'm telling you it's they're two ghosts that they were meant to hook up well it's funny what you uh what you led this off with saying that uh that this reminded
1: you of city on the edge of forever because that was one of the notes that I wrote that the episode's just flat brilliantly written and in in my opinion this is next gen city on the edge of forever yes, this there's a lot of parallels but what's really cool is that it, it's so neat that they could do City on the Edge of Forever but not do it at the same time. Right. You know what I mean? It's
0: it's so close it's to It's not it, a but rehash it not of it.
1: Not a rehash or a copycat. Y-
0: it, you know why it reminds me of City on the Edge of Forever? Because it's so well written. It's like mm-hmm. there's not an ounce of fat in it. Everything drives the story. Everything drives the characters. Everything is convincing. The way they, the way they rejigger the bridge and you know, the, the the alternate universe, the war enterprise is, right. is masterful. It's perfect. Well, there's also that element, much like
1: City on the Edge of Forever, there's also that element of you can do what your heart tells you or you can do the right thing and save millions of yeah. people. And that's the dilemma that Picard goes through in this. By the way, I like Picard in this one a lot. And I can't help but feel that, even though he was playing uh, a, a rougher, more battle-hardened version of himself, I can't help but wonder if this more, yes, um, if this more decisive, battle-hardened, quick-witted, uh, you know, just just more Kirk-like, I, I dare say, version of Picard didn't appeal to people so much that this is really where his right. character began to change in the well, regular universe too, because up till now we'd still kind of gotten the soft wishy-washy Picard. But in this one, there's a great
0: moment where, well, uh, still I still like got f- a lot of war to go through in the future. This right. One.
1: Right. And, but I really like in this, that he and, uh, he and uh, Riker are not chummy. If you notice, there's there's it's never right. blatant, but there's a couple of little moments where it's kind of obvious that Riker doesn't exactly have his back. He doesn't think that he he's not enamored of Picard. And Picard doesn't seem like he particularly defers to Riker either. It's a, yeah. and there's a great moment where Riker calls one of his decisions into question and, and very briefly Picard gives his reasoning and then just says, Look, I've made my decision. Right. Dismissed. And I love that because that's not up till now, that's not something I see no, it the been regular Picard needed. doing. Yeah, exactly. It would be like, Okay, well, you know, give me your opinion. You Let us like, go t- round table on this. Let's let's take a vote. And it's like, no, damn it, you're like the captain, make a decision.
0: Grapefruit juice <laughs> and tell me your feelings.
1: Let's <laughs> get chamomile exactly. tea. Exactly. I, I really like that, and uh, and I think that that's more the Picard that we we do eventually
0: come to get in this series as well. Well, I mean, there is. Uh, I'm sorry. Another great thing about this is this is pure, 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 pure on all levels. Star Trek. Mm-hmm. It's it, the main conflict of it is not against the Klingons, although there's Klingons shooting phasers at you and and attacking you they're just there to drive the story you know the the main conflict is in doing the right is in first in in doing the right thing and then being able to do you know pull off the right thing because actually nobody messes around in this in this you know the captain of the other ship she wants to save her ship at the same time but they all see the situation and know exactly what has to happen and it doesn't they don't wring their hands very long I mean I like I was ex- I forgot that we were in a different enterprise or a different universe when she was like alright crew we're going back to the ship and we're going back through the wormhole she didn't ask them. Mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't anybody going. Ah, hang on, wait. <laughs> <laughs> Can I stay I'd here, please? Stay here. You know, the whole crew was just like, boom. Oh, there was no, there was no asking of the crew. There was no like, well, let's see if the crew wants to, is going to get behind us on this attack too. You know, if they want to go on the suicide mission. Once the captain decided, they they were <laughs> on their way back through the wormhole to their death. Did you like her? Did you like uh, Captain Garrett? Yes. Yeah, she I, I did too. Um, uh, sh- at first, I thought they were gonna write her as a problematic char- character. You know what I mean? The Starfleet person who's gonna be, you know, at just sort of at odds with the Enterprise crew because they need someone to be at odds. But no, she was a full. She was a good captain. You know, she was. Mm-hmm. She was a hard ass. You no, know, yep. she was. She was ready to do whatever had to be done assess the that's, that's what I love about this episode it's not th- there's a place for hand wringing and deciding and what's the, what's the good thing I don't know let's let's sleep on it and it's not here and they realize that in the script or maybe they just had to cram so much story into it that they couldn't have and there's no Troy but yeah it, 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 once the situation's sized up and, and this is something that I've always associated with old school science fiction, this pragmatism. You know, we're in a situation and in modern times, we seem to want to focus on on the situation and how, what that situation means to us and our feelings and mankind and all of that, which is a strong element in Star Trek, but at the same time in science fiction, you know a lot of the times the problem is you're in a situation that's a science fiction situation how would you deal with it and uh, this this episode deals with that greatly because it's very interesting how you would deal with that situation you don't need added drama or character development as a matter of fact the situation is gonna drive all the character development you need and I just I just love this episode um, I you know, and, and now as time goes on, and I hate to keep doing this in Star Trek Monthly Monday and mention the the, the new Trek, but God, they just this episode well, sits right there as sort of you could hand this to any Star Trek writer <laughs> writing in any time period and say, here, here's here is prototypical Star Trek for you, everything that you need in right. your toolkit is in here. There's a couple characters we have to throw in that aren't in this. But everything else, you know, all the major elements of this, of this franchise are in this, you know, what make it come alive.
1: Well, I'll let you off the hook a bit, because if you didn't mention that, I was going to, (laughs) because I had the same thought that, you know, this episode... Is a great, and I mean great example of fan service, not fan wankery. Right. And what I mean by that is that this episode is a Star Trek fans' dream. Yes. Because it oh, gives yes. you so many things that Star Trek fans have wanted to see. Plus, there's a ton of Easter eggs in this one. One of my, a couple of my favorites actually, is uh, there's one point where. Uh, it's very subtle and you have to kind of be listening for it but Dr. Salar is paged over the intercom system and she's one of those characters that most people would be like who the hell is that but she was the the Vulcan doctor in one of the prior episodes that we'd seen Uh, she was played by the same actress that that played Worf's Worf's, uh, pseudo wife there the, the mother of his child and I like her character a lot she's one of those kind of Star Trek like, you know, for lack of a better term expanded universe characters that I always liked quite a bit And it like I say, it's just it's a subtle thing. She's just paged over the intercom, but I like that kind of thing and
0: But the thing is my, that, that is people have thought of that sort of thing as what defines That and in this it's just a touch. It's thrown right, in there. Just if you're paying touch, attention exactly. It's not like hey look a Tribble Hey, look there's this. another
1: great one, you know, the The other one that I think is great in this episode is when uh, Tasha and uh, Castillo are in, I don't even know if it's considered to be 10 forward on the alternate universe enterprise, but essentially they're in the bar and they're, they're having this conversation and Guinan walks in and she and Tasha have this weird little eye contact moment and then Guinan walks away and Tasha just kind of shakes her head and goes first time for everything. And Castillo asked her to explain. But that in itself was an acknowledgement of these two characters have never met before. Now, you wouldn't really catch that unless you were a Star Trek fan who had been watching the series and was up on the lore. If this was just an episode you were tuning into, that would just seem kind of natural. And she even explains what she means by saying first time for everything that she had an in-universe explanation for that statement. But we know as the fans that she was actually winking at us right. and
0: saying, hello, Guinan and Yar just met for the very first time. But it wasn't really but that's brilliantly done. Yeah. That, it's brilliantly done. Cause it's not all about the wink. It's all about, exactly. it's all about it being two different things at once, which mm-hmm. it fits into the storyline, which is really two different realities clashing. It, yes. Everything about it was just brilliantly thought out. I'm surprised that this isn't the season closer because that's well, how I, w- I would put this as the, like, kaboom, the I would put this as the star on the top of the Christmas tree, you know, or the icing on the cake. Man, well, see,
1: that's, that's the incredible thing about season three, and that's the thing that makes season three hard to beat as one of the best seasons of next gen, is that this one's kind of smack in the middle. You know what I mean? It's uh, yeah. It's just another episode of the third season, and the one that actually is the season closer is right on the same level. So, yeah, I mean, season three is just an incredible season. You know, we, we have our ups and we have our downs, because the next one, as I recall, is kind of a wonky one. But, uh, I mean, some of the ones that are coming along are, are you know, really good and thought-provoking uh, episodes as well. I was looking here, uh, two episodes from now, we have one, Sins of the Father, which is another fan-favorite episode. Um, Allegiance, I don't remember what the hell that one's about. Captain's Holiday, which I think we're going to have a riot tearing and that one up. Tin Man, which is kind of meh. Hollow Pursuits, I don't remember. Most Toys is a really good one. Um... Yeah. See, we have more left than I thought that we did, but we're we're not. I mean, we're creeping up on the on the big one. But yeah, I mean, still, there's a number of really solid episodes. Season three is really where next gen found its feet. You know, it it, it
0: found its audience. Is next gen especially since and and uh, actually next gen shares a few writers, you know, from the original series here and there, Mm -hmm. but um you know the writers from the original series well Harlan Ellison's still alive there I mean a lot of them are dead now but just the fact that there's so many good next gen ep- episodes out there and even the mediocre and poor next gen episodes still are steeped in star trek it, that means that you know we're we're literally lousy with good star trek writers in this country right. They're all over the place. They're sitting around in their dingy apartments, starving right now. And we can't get a decent Star Trek movie. Or even a TV show. How the hell? And I'm hoping that, like, uh, uh, s- saying this will be have a similar effect on the universe as The Walking Dead. Remember in the old days of Comics Monthly Monday when Walking Dead Wednesday was part of Comics Monthly Monday? And, and like, and and similar to the Star Trek part of the show where we gripe about New Trek, we would sit in Walking Dead and go, why isn't this a TV show? Why isn't this right. like an HBO or like some cable show where they can show the violence and like this would be... They could just print money. What is the matter with them? And then it happened and then they started printing bundles of money. So, I mean, every time... Somebody leaks out some little thing, and I know what's happening is there's all these people who are, you know, writers and stuff in Hollywood who are Trek fans who are going to like Netflix and stuff. There's, I'm sure there's people proposing Star Trek shows left and right, and every once in a while you'll hear a little leak out of like blah 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 has been talking to Netflix and blah blah blah. But why would that be something that you would want? Like, why isn't that something that? Everybody that makes TV shows isn't fighting over the rights to, you know, or falling over themselves to do because it just seems like a no-brainer. You know, every time a little hint comes out, people go nuts and it goes all over the place. And oh, Star Trek TV show, blah blah blah. And there's and amidst all the griping of the the Abrams Trek, you'll hear people blah blah blah, new TV show, new TV show what are they waiting for what are they waiting for there's any number of other TV shows coming out that would have a similar budget as a Star Trek TV show especially these days now that you can do you know CG on on such a, a scale it's it boggles my mind it boggles my mind if they took if they if they did half if they did episodes of Star Trek that were half the budget of any episode of the reboot of Battlestar Galactica it could be fantastic as long as it was written well and had a good cast what is the matter with everybody i don't know i mean i, I any any answer I, could,
1: <laughs> any answer I could give would would really just come down to, to just pure uh griping you know <laughs> no no just pure speculation yeah. but i mean my my guess would be I mean, my guess would purely be that, you know, Star Trek, to my recollection, and, you know, please, anybody listening, feel free to point out if I'm wrong on this, but Star Trek, to my recollection, was never hugely financially successful. A lot of Star Trek's success came critically, not necessarily
0: monetarily. Yeah, but that monetarily. doesn't seven seasons and... Numbers of spinoffs that even go for numerous seasons. You know what I mean? That that's true. But what I mean is that at the time that each of these
1: series was airing, were any of them? I mean, other than say Next Gen, they might. might Next Gen might not print your money
0: while you're originally airing them as much as you print it in the it's 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 like a long-term investment you know it's like but buying a savings thing bond is that's
1: not how hollywood works man you know that but these the, days but still, especially that's they they want their money now yeah, if but, they can't instantly put something out that's going to make a billion dollars you know at the box office or or whatever then they're not interested everything's got to be the the big new thing or it's a flop yeah but I mean
0: if you could I mean if you can crunch the numbers and I don't know I'm I'm assuming that if you did crunch the numbers on Star Trek over the long haul from beginning to end all the the oh yeah if you crunch those numbers and then compared it to say James Bond would maybe be the only thing out there that has that like legs of length of time And and well, James Bond hasn't really spilled into TV either. But and either way, I mean, the money's money's money. And, you know, I mean, if and people are into Star Trek, I know that's a weird statement. But, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people in Hollywood who are probably partially there because they were Star Trek fans or, you know, grew up on it, you would think, even though, well, I guess they still would have to sell it to Hollywood, but if you got yourself associated with that, then all of a sudden you can sort of be like a little Roddenberry, where basically you you have a free ride for life. Not a free ride, you're working on Star Trek, which will probably make you pull your hair out.
1: Well, I think another but, part of that as well, you know, another another part of that, that question is... I wouldn't be surprised if part of the reason that these different companies aren't chasing Star Trek as you're proposing is possibly intimidation. I think possibly that very they don't fan want to base. Fail. Exactly. You know, that, that fan base that you're talking about, you know, very well can be a tough crowd. It can
0: be a tough crowd, but guess what? They, they won that crowd with next generation that, There is a, but that's the thing is, there is a formula in place, (laughs) Mm -hmm. in place, tried, true, tested, universal, and evergreen on how to get Star Trek to work. And I'm, and, and we're watching it in Star Trek The Next Generation third season, boom, kicking into gear. You know, the Star Trek was there all, all through the first two seasons, third season boom it's not just there it's working i I mean i almost cried at the end of this episode because they're working what's already there what's already been established and it's and they're not just rehashing it they're not just saying oh let's just throw this in there they're really thinking about it and going what would you know what would make this dramatic and what would be really cool and what would be this and that and it's a TV show, so I'll bet. And Star Trek has traditionally always had a lot of input from the actors about their characters and stuff. It's it, on, on one hand, I want to say, how hard can it be? It's very hard, but it's it's the kind of hard work that you can you can accomplish by getting the right people and getting the right people. That's all there is to it. Get the right writers, get the right directors, and get the right cast and you're, you're, you're golden. You're golden. If you have a well-written Star Trek story, you're golden. And there's people who, who just know it. I mean, you could pluck John Byrne out of the air and, and get ID, you know, it, I, I, I just, I definitely think your
1: idea has merit, but I mean, in, in, in attempting to answer your question, why aren't they doing it? I, I just think it comes down to... They're
0: not going to make enough money off it. It's, I, that's I the only reason I money. Can think I of.
1: think it comes down to intimidation on a number of levels. I think money most definitely has to do with it in the fact of, will we make enough money right now to make this worth our while? And I think right out of the gate, no. Because... You know, they they'd have to woo back their classic fan base. There's there's so many of them that are disenfranchised by what's been done to. That's true. Star Trek in recent
0: history, that's and then true, you have to look at. But if I'm invited with good Star Trek, I'm going to lap it up, no questions asked. Well, that's I, you and me, you but, back, but I mean, old buddy, you know, right?
1: But also, you have to consider, you know, again from say television, from a, from, a, from a perspective of bringing Star Trek back to television, you have to look that the last three incarnations of Star Trek on television were not incredibly successful. You have DS9, which, yes, it survived seven seasons, but it was all over the place in the ratings, and people either loved it or they hated it, and there weren't a lot of people in between. Right. Voyager was very um uh divisive again with with the fans not quite to the same degree as as ds9 i think but it struggled you know to to go that 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 seven seasons you know it just it had its fans and it's had it had its loyalty and all but it was a tough road for that series it just didn't it just didn't do the numbers. It just didn't have the appeal of next-gen or even of DS9 Which is a shame because I think it's a far superior show to DS9 well, and then you had Enterprise which in a lot of ways and it pains me to say this a lot of ways Enterprise was a failure because it almost instantly alienated its fan base And then at the time when it was just winning that fan base back or trying to and delivering canceled. some really quality Star Trek and and really finding its legs and, and finding the show that it wanted to be, it got canned. So yeah. that one didn't do the the seasons that they wanted it to do, and it didn't do the, the ratings numbers, and it got canceled, which is embarrassing for Star Trek. Well, I think what so we are seeing
0: was an artistic arc. <laughs> it, right. What happens is, like, you had the original Star Trek, then you had a lot of time to stew and simmer right. before, you know, and then... Then it looked like Phase 2 was going to get off the ground, but then you had the motion picture. And then you had Star Trek Two: Wrath of Khan, and then the movies sort of followed that artistic arc. And mm-hmm. I think with Next Generation and after Deep Space Nine, it seemed to me, I got the distinct impression, and this is a period where I wasn't watching Star Trek, and probably for this reason, to where they were thinking to themselves, well, look, we got to have There's got to be a new Star Trek coming out. And, you know, that makes sense in franchise land. But instead of being driven, driven by demand and hunger for it, it was like, all right, you know, we got to sort of stagger these new shows. So, you know, once the cast starts getting in there for five or six years, we can have a new show coming in and keep them overlapped. And that way we always have one or usually like two star trek show weren't there three go weren't were deep space 9 voyager and enterprise all going at the same time or just voyager or voyager and enterprise
1: i'm no no they were not cuz side uh, no cuz voyager kicked off right around the time of generation okay. so yeah the next gen crew had gone to feature films by, by that, that
0: time because okay.
1: Voyager was then stuck in the uniforms of uh, of Enterprise for the, the or excuse me from generations rather for the whole rest of the of their
0: run pretty much.
1: Jeez. As I recall.
0: But um you know it sort of it sort of started getting old because it was getting rope. But now right. we're not at that point. We're we're and I'm I'm gonna I'm going to hope for what I'm calling to myself the Planet of the Apes effect with Star Trek. And it's the Tim Burton Planet of the Apes effect. Where Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes came out sort of similar to New Trek, where it's like, bam, we got, you know, a director who's known for being stylistically snazzy and intelligent and we're rebooting it and we're putting the big money into it and promoting it and here it comes and then thud you know not really thud financially for star trek but in the long term new Trek has pretty much gone thud there's people you know the people who like it were like i liked it it was fun but there's nobody who's just like "Mm," got bit by the bug really by it and um but with Planet, but with in Planet of the Apes case, when the Planet of the Apes effect kicked in, um, Tim Burton's movie was making the original Planet of the Apes worse in people's minds. You know, people were just sort of like um, considering Planet of the Apes just like a, you know, just cheesiness in in general from beginning to end, off the stank of the Tim Burton one. But along comes this these new. Planet of the Apes movies and all of a sudden I'm excited again and my memory and desire to ever revisit or think about the Tim Burton one just flies out the window it's just fading like a ghost you know because mm-hmm. all of a sudden I got the real stuff here and it's like okay throw that right over your shoulder and let it disappear in the in you know in the taillights and I'm hoping that if something real trek comes along, and people get a whiff of it that boom it you know once once people get a whiff of it and figure out how to do it, then we could have a whole time period of of that again, you know
1: well, I'm thinking that Please. if if classic sci-fi genre history holds that Star trek three. The, the new Star Trek three right. by the fast and the furious guy is going to come out and it's going to be considered basically the, the X-Men last stand or Spider-Man three or whatever of its franchise. And that'll be it. And then they'll maybe Star Trek will go away for a little while, which actually probably wouldn't be a bad thing. Let it go away for a little while. Let
0: there be a hiatus. I got lots of time. I got lots and, of, I've got three other series to watch after yeah, no Yeah. And then somebody is going to
1: get super nostalgic and start thinking about Star Trek again. And then we might get real good, solid, true Trek back again. I'm thinking what could very possibly happen is, you know, we just pointed out at the beginning of this episode, this episode right here that we're reviewing yesterday's Enterprise is 25 years old. You know we're hitting that period where there's gonna be a, a, a serious cry of nostalgia yeah. you know where people are gonna want this version of Trek back again and they're gonna want more of it. So I'm not necessarily well, like saying I that say we'll more, see... most of
0: the people I interact with their Trek is Star Trek The Next Generation
1: exactly you know I mean I you know I make no bones about the fact that I love classic Kirk Trek but at the same rate, you know, maybe I don't say this often enough, but I'm a huge next gen fan. Trek is Trek. and man. And, I, it, I, and it kills me that you know when when they did the whole Abrams thing, it's not just Kirk and Crew that are affected by that. It's everybody. It's all incarnations of Trek essentially went out the window. And so this Trek did too. And I think that as more time goes on and, and fans become more and more wistful and nostalgic, for their particular iteration of Trek as that nostalgia cycle comes around that there's going to be more of a cry for going back to that and so I could see sometime in the future that we might want to revisit the next generation. Now whether that means bringing back the classic cast and doing a you know a reunion movie or another whatever I don't know whether that means a recasting and a a new version of next gen or what I I don't know. But in some form or other, I'm beginning for the first time in, in years, you know, since 2009, I'm beginning to see that that glimmer of hope that this one, the current iteration will wrap itself up and then that'll be it. And then hopefully something better and truer to form will come along to take its place I I really think that that's more than
0: likely where this thing is going to go down the road all all three needs is a script (laughs) and that's up in the air so if, if if somebody somehow gets their act together and writes even with a director like and directors aren't everything of a movie directors are a big part of the movie but the script is a huge part and but see even the
1: best script in the world for the third installment's not going to fix the basic problems that are wrong because the-, the basic problem that's wrong with the franchise at the moment is where the franchise is and the, and the third film can't fix that well
0: i that, so that's what they really not so need to do a- is
1: just do whatever the hell they're doing make it good make it suck who cares just get it the hell out of the way and then call it a wrap and then let you know pass it it's, off to somebody else that can just here's the thing i'm hoping what they'll do is they'll just they'll just continue the the story as if this reboot thing never happened i would love that that the next iteration of star trek that we see just
0: completely ignores the reboot It just, well, just continues on yeah well you know i mean i don't necessarily have a problem where it is i don't think that's a fundamental deal breaker it's just once you're there, it's it, 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 it's the kind of thing like someone takes you to a club to see a band that you've never heard of in a place you've never heard of. And you're like, all right, I'm here. I don't want to be here. But, and then it turns out you see one of the best bands in your life or whatever. And it's just like, all right, that was great. That's how I sort of felt with that. All right, you're going to put me in another universe. All right, that's fine. If it's going to deal with, you know, if, if you feel you have to deal put the real cast into some sort of same reality sort of as the old cast instead of just going like here they are they're different actors you know which I would have been right. totally happy with but either way you've decided to do that now do something Trek with it and then they you know proceeded not to do that and that's where that's where all of a sudden I'm not going to defend the alternate timeline as much as I possibly would if it was giving me the stories I wanted, you know but the alternate timeline apparently means, you know, this is a Star Trek devoid of sub, of real subtext not just thrown on you know, story elements sort of washed over security state 9-11 conspiracy theories and stuff like that, you know and it's uh, my fucking lawn. <laughs> uh. But I, I, I mean, I still hold hope, but it's in a sort of bemused manner. I've detached myself from caring. At all, like it's like okay, if it's if it turns out to be great, and I've got it on good, you know, I I can see from the reviews that maybe I'm gonna get from my oh, I'll give it maybe give it a chance, but. I'm not really holding my breath over it. I'm not. It's not really in my radar of upcoming movies, it, it, outside of something that I may have to gripe about at some point, or report on, or be like, or comment on because I'm asked about it because it's happening at the time. But I'm not like, all right, new Star Trek movie. Kai. I don't even know what year it comes in. I'm assuming 2016 or something like that. Whatever. Not with not with a new Star Wars movie, a new Avengers movie, and a new Mad Max movie, all happening within well now 364 days. <laughs> well, you know
1: that that in <laughs> itself makes me it, it makes me feel a little sad and a little guilty because with all the great stuff that that has been coming out and that will continue to come out in the future, it, it's been kind of easy to you know to kind of ignore the the version of Trek that's coming out these days that I don't care for it's easy to just kind of you know turn a blind eye and go like meh whatever let that happen but at the same rate when you see something like this you know a great classic episode like this really kind of brings it all back to me like damn i miss yeah, star trek yeah, yeah. you know oh i, I mean, really that's do. why we always
0: end up in this conversation after a particularly good episode We always go, New Trek, because it's so, it's frustrating, it's really frustrating Mm -hmm. to, you know, and sometimes I feel responsible (laughs) that it wasn't like, maybe I should have gone to Hollywood because then I could have maybe been in a position where I could say like, I'll try to get on this new Trek film and I'll write the new Trek film, you know makes me you know it's almost responding to David Goyer's troll of like oh yeah well I'm the one who gets to you're not the one who gets to write it maybe I should have but then again you know I think about it and then I'm like no I'm glad I didn't make that decision to go there because I would have killed somebody by now instead of writing the new can't write the new Star Trek from prison so <laughs> but yeah it's 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 so frustrating because it's it's I I understand what went wrong with these ones because of J, And it's like one of those things where I can't put JJ Abrams in that place where I put like um, um, Hack Snyder as just like a hated enemy. It's, it's more of like he was the it, it, I I'm pissed off at his ego and, or, and potential greed if it was money motivated. I think it's more ego motivated and maybe part of a deal to get Star Wars. Who knows what the, you know, it might've been part of something he had to do or something, but I don't like the idea of, you know, it, it was just bad sign after bad sign when he's like, I never particularly liked Star Trek and I don't understand it. And it's just like, well, how is this going to happen? it's not, it's going to be him studying it and then doing his interpretation of it. And, mm-hmm. and, okay, I'll give that a chance, but it doesn't look like he put a lot of time into it, you know?
1: Which Just, has been happening far too often with with genre things of all kinds, and You and I it's both, comics or comic book movies or, we, or we anything. It's been
0: happening gripe, far too much. We gripe here and gripe here, but after the first movie, both of us were, that was a serviceable action movie. It was an acceptable, it was like, we could watch it and enjoy it without being like, Grrr, the fiery pits of hell opening up now you haven't seen into darkness but that's what it into, into darkness was that movie and it was only that movie after about 45 minutes but it was that movie in a big way it was that was the biggest like pain I've ever experienced of disappointment and anger watching watching a movie and uh because it's Star Trek, <laughs> See, and then it's so people closely. wonder why
1: I didn't watch it but that's why I didn't watch it because I at the, at the same point Alex, I could help, tell
0: going in it's that that's helping what it me would, to let go it's helping me to let go of seeing my beloved things get run through the dirt and having to just step back and go alright run it through the dirt man run it over bury it 12 feet underground cause you know what I'll just sit right here and in a few years the dirt's gonna start to wiggle a little bit and, and the finger's gonna come out and, you know and before you know it it'll start drawing breath again cause it's just one of those <laughs> things you know Right. and, uh, and the feel I, I think it when you see something like Into Darkness or you see one of those movies where the, they just where it doesn't get it it gets it completely wrong to the point of like jamming the square peg into the round hole it it, it stirs this feeling that's instantaneous of like, you're seeing your best friend get killed but, you just have to remember it ain't gonna get, you know, you have to just back off and go it's stronger than, Star Trek is stronger than J.J. Abrams I would would say Star Trek could kick Steven Spielberg's ass if it really had to (laughs) if it really got pissed off enough (laughs) so, so I don't worry, you know, I mean, Planet of the Apes survived Tim Burton and, uh, and he's he can be a pretty vicious killer these days. <laughs> Starting with that, I think that was his first kill. I think he did it accidentally and decided that he liked it. And then just decided to be a serial killer after that. Oh, this conversation's That's, gone way off the rail. I know, and I don't... And, you know, let's... I don't know what to say positive. Except that was a awesome, awesome episode. I don't want to end on a sour note.
1: Oh, uh one of the things i really like as i say one, is
0: i'm drinking my lemonade and puckering my lips <laughs> Actually,
1: <laughs> one of the great things about this episode is there's a line where uh where castillo and yar are are saying farewell i think it's for the first time and he says something to her about you know when you know, when he goes through the, the portal and everything that, hey, you never know, and if she's ever in a bar and she sees this fifty ish you know, year old guy kind of giving her the eye from across the bar and everything, and you know, and he says, Hey, you never know. So he's implying that
0: maybe, maybe they won't it.
1: die. Maybe he'll make it, maybe he'll survive even though they're going back to what looks like most certain death. I'm thinking that at some point somebody you know in, involved in the creation of next gen latched onto that because i don't know if you know what's coming down the road past this point no but this is not the end of the story Ooh. for these Ooh. characters and i'll just kind of tease that because something really cool does become of the of events that happened in this episode I'll, I'll just put it that way. So this is not the end of this particular story. See,
0: I was wondering why the Enterprise didn't, when the Enterprise C was going back through the wormhole, why they didn't just fire off a whole bunch of photon torpedoes behind it, just for good, you know, to fly over the, fly over its shoulder, ahead of it, just for good measure. That's what I would have done. I, I think the, I think the whole idea here,
1: though, was, was to they let had it to go die. Yeah yeah they let it go back and, and you know it was they, they were being sacrificed that they knew that it wasn't enough to be coming to the Klingons aid it was that they, they had, had to, to die. die in the process yeah. you know that they were going to be the, the sacrificial lambs that were going to lead to uh, the, the Klingons going hey you know your your people laid
0: down their lives for our people let's let's try again with this peace right. treaty thing. And not only like the loss of deaths from the war, but the whole changing of the universe into like a state of war into you know, the Enterprise being an exploratory ship. Right. Basically a science vessel. Right. So, yeah, I mean it's a good good sacrifice.
1: But that I mean that's that's one of, I mean this episode works on a number of levels, but that's definitely one of the levels that works at is that kind of city on the edge of forever level of, in, in order for things to be right, in order for, for billions of people that didn't die before to live, we have to make this sacrifice. You know, you, you have to do this terrible thing or allow this terrible thing to happen. It's kind of the same thing in this one, is that these people are going knowingly and willingly to their own deaths in the, in the hopes that their right. deaths will count for something.
0: they never and, and know. Stop either.
1: a war that never. Yeah, exactly. And they'll never know. That that's pretty powerful stuff yeah. when you think about it. I mean, that's that's a very weighty subject right there. Is you know, would you would you do that? You know, would you sacrifice yourself in the hopes of stopping a war and you know, and the deaths of untold billions of people that
0: you know shouldn't have happened according to Guinan. Oh my God! Is I just that, thought of something. What if? What if you were the janitor for the Enterprise C? Would you be like, <laughs> wait, do I really have to go over? I'm the bartender. I, I just stay. Actually, they'll need the bartender. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Visit our website
1: at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled
0: T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S you can email 2 true Freaks directly at 2 truefreaksgmailcom at gmail.com
1: 2 true Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow we have so many shows to choose from there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom just search 2 true Freaks" with an exclamation mark at the end space and the number 2